and welcome to Trek Companion, episode 100. This is your host, Brian Williams. This is Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And, uh, boy, we're not doing anything special for episode 100. Our show is a review show, you know, it's for people to listen to as they're watching. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and we take great pains to not disrupt that. If we do something special, we make the entire episode special or you know, at least put it at the very end so that you can still use the episode as it's intended. So uh, we're not doing anything special, but boy, it's been almost four years. And <laughs> here we are at episode 100. That's worth a, that's worth a few seconds of note. Uh, now that that's out of the way. Today we're discussing, and it's also kind of cool. <laughs> today we're discussing uh, Next Gen 6th season episodes, Birthright, Parts 1 and 2, and Starship Mine. Here we go. <laughs> Birthright Part 1, Season 6, Episode 16, Production Number 242, Original Air Date, March 7th, 1993, Directed by Winrick Colby, Written by Brennan Braga, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast includes Siddig El-Fadil as Julian Bashir, James Cromwell as Jagalom Shrek, Christine Rose as Jural, Jennifer Gotti as Bael, and Richard Hurd as LaCour. <laughs> The USS Enterprise is docked at Deep Space Nine, assisting in repairs to Bajoran technologies damaged during the Kardashian occupation. Worf is approached by an alien, a Yardinian named Jalum Sharik, who claims that Worf's father, Moog, did not die at Kinemir, tw- or Kinemir 25 years ago, as everyone thought. Meanwhile, in engineering, Dr. Julian Bashur, Data, and Jordy examine a battered cylinder recently found in the Gamma Quadrant. The cylinder releases a blast of energy that renders Data unconscious where he has a vision of his father, Dr. Noonien Soong. I'm curious. Now that those circuits are active, what are you going to do with them? I plan to shut down my cognitive functions for a brief period each day. I hope to generate new internal visions. It sounds to me like you're talking about dreaming. An accurate analogy. Birthright Part 1. It's a weird episode, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. It's like the B story. It's the A story because they extended the A story into two episodes and put the bulk of it in the second episode. And none of the B story is in the second episode, which is really weird too, you know. Mm. And like it ends with Data's dad giving him the bird, which is not really Star Trek. (laughs) You know, it doesn't seem like a Star Trek kind of thing, you know. But uh, interesting. It's interesting. Uh, It's. We're doing it as a standalone episode. Uh, you know, sometimes we mix these things up. We're doing this as standalone because it does feel like the first one is the data one, the second one is the worth one. You know, but we could have. <laughs> it feels more like a single episode that's too long than it does. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's mm-hmm. weird. Um, well, both episodes are. On this one? Well, both episodes are kind. Of, they're separate in feel and yeah, like what's going on. I mean, yeah, they don't even feel almost like they're related in a way. Well, you know, we it gives us the opportunity for arguably the best scene in either episode. Uh, the the one thing, the one thread that kind of connects them, the Worf um, uh, Data scene. Mm-hmm. You know, when Data tells him, "You must, you know, explore this vision. Uh, if it's about your father, nothing's more important." You know, and of course, that's what makes him decide to. Um, you know, follow the Iridian and see if his, his father is still alive. Um, but it's just this whole episode, it just feels, um, I don't know, it just feels like filler. Mm-hmm. Anybody else feel like that? Um, no, I, I thought the first one was interesting. I like the back and forth with the B story. Um, I think maybe what your disappointment is is we don't get any of data in the second one. I mean, it's like I agree with you. Maybe you could consider it a long episode, one the, both of them together. We're going that way as one long episode, but the second one feels so much different to me than the first one because it's just Worf and he's on this planet. It just you know you almost don't even need the all the story setup from um, part one to do part two. But, yeah. Steve, what were you going to say? Well, I'd be interested in knowing, and perhaps you know, Brian, if you in your research, but how how we came to this place with this odd, you know, two part. Yeah, well, it was it, Michael Pillar. Uh, basically, they had the idea for Worf. Um, there were two two submissions, um, p- two pitches that they put together. One of them had to do with 
Klingons that had too much honor to go home, and the other one had to do with uh, Worf being told that Moog was still alive. Um, and then Michael Piller decided, let's, let's make two episodes out of this. Uh, and then somehow that became, um, well, we need to add a B story. And that, that became, at first, the B story was going to be Data has a near-death experience. They decided that was a little too close to tapestry. It became a dream. Data has a dream. And then they kept having to kind of expand the B story to make it fill up with the two episodes. And then it kept getting, it kept moving around until that was just all in the A, I mean, all in part one, you know. I like the Data story. And we're obviously, the fact that we're having trouble talking about part one and focusing on that, I think is probably indicative of maybe this would have been better as a B story in some other episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the Worf story could have, I mean, did you, Steve, did you watch all the deleted scenes on part two on the Blu-ray? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, it was so, there was so much, you know? Why didn't this make that big long episode, a normal episode? Yeah. And just that story, whatever. And then, yeah, like you said, make the data thing a B story in another no, episode. Because they were, they obviously, they had so much in part two. That's probably more deleted scenes than I've ever seen for a oh, single yeah. episode. You know, it really does feel like it was meant to be over the, spill out, but they really obviously somehow wanted to, you know, start the episode with him arriving at the camp, you know, and if that's, that's the case. So, so maybe if they'd, if he'd arrived at the camp earlier in part one, we'd had some of those other scenes. I mean, one of those deleted scenes was quite good. Um, well, we'll talk about that in part two maybe, but um, at any rate, uh, if this B story had been a little bit smaller, Maybe that could have been better, too. I'm not sure. It is disappointing when you watch this one and you like it, and then you go into part two and it's gone. You know? mm-hmm. um, I will say the first thing that happened to me was watching this episode on Blu-ray, seeing it in HD for the first time. Oh, my God. I want DS9 in HD so bad. Oh, no, I thought the same thing. Oh. Oh, it looks so beautiful. They even had to open it with the bloody music just to, <laughs> you know um it's it's lovely and seeing it in hd and seeing them say hey seeing Worf walk around ds9 of course you know makes you think of later ds9 and sheer ugh. um yeah well let's talk about i don't think there's too much we can talk about Worf except for the you know the one scene that we already mentioned but is there let's can we talk about the data storyline a little bit sure <laughs> um, I guess that's it. Um, <laughs> what was that? What was the name of the story? It made me think of what's the name of the story that um, Philip K. Dick's uh, the Blade, the Blade Runner is based on. Um, something about do androids dream? Oh, right, right, right. Something like that. Yeah. Our listeners are cursing me. For, uh, uh, electric sheep, right? <laughs> Do androids dream of electric? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, uh, there's a play there on humans dreaming, watching sheep jump over. Anyway, um, okay. <laughs> oh gosh, um, there's some interesting imagery in there. I have to say that that shot with the the um, the bird or whatever. And when data is data, you are the bird, and he's flying through the mm-hmm. corridors. It's a beautiful shot. Uh, it goes out to the exterior. That's all very, very nice. Um, the painting scene is kind of interesting. Data paints a lot. I actually, I did find myself thinking, I wish I had a couple of those paintings. I'd put them up in my office. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, Brian. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I think really I like the. Which one did you like best? I like the corridor painting. Yep, I, I like the corridor one too. It's so simple. <laughs> that was um, Michael Okuda. Photoshopping a picture he took of the corridor, messing with it. Interesting. That's how long Photoshop's been with us, folks. It was 20 years ago. Um, what else? Steve, what was your favorite scene in this episode? Hmm. Well, I mean, you already mentioned it, but probably the uh, Wharf Data conversation was the, my favorite scene of the episode. Just because it actually tied things together in what otherwise seemed like just an odd organizational cluster, you know? Hmm. Is it, I'd have to, um, yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that scene. Yeah, it's probably um, 
Um, the most poignant of the scenes. Except, yeah, of this episode. Well, it's interesting that Soong um, kind of wrote this almost as a program, but that Data wasn't intended to find it unless he, unless he what? So, yeah, some vague notion of it advancing, you know, to some level. But, I mean, uh, yeah, they don't really go into details what that means or something. But hmm. he just accidentally came across it due to this surge. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. I was thinking to myself, you know, why would they be um, studying some sort of, like, power source thing that they're not quite sure what it is right next to the warp <laughs> engines? I'm like, yeah. isn't there, like, a safer place? Yeah, it'd be nice to, to have a room dedicated for such activities, you know. And if the device you're testing looks like maybe it has a barrel of some sort. All right, let's point that not at a, anything yeah. important. Imagine if it, if, it, if it shot out at the warp point. <laughs> not to mention, if it had hit anyone besides Data, it probably would have killed him. Yeah, 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 that was confusing. So that was convenient. I, I like, like the bits about... Go ahead. I like how Data positioned himself right in front of it. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I like the bits about um, Data grosses hair. I mean, that, that's a, very interesting. And, and uh, yeah. um, that he says no one's ever asked him that before, and Bashir seems fascinated with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Bashir is such a great character. Sadig is such a great actor. Yeah. You know, it's, it, this, you think about how early this is. They were shooting this around the same time they were shooting... What's the terrible episode of DS9's first Move season? Along. Move Along Home. <laughs> yep. yeah, this is a yep. couple months in or whatever, year, month and a half. Yeah, episode. so this is still pretty early. They haven't really quite found all the characters and everything, but he's just so, I don't know, he's so full of life and uh, genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, Bashir, I mean, you know. And, and it also, I mean, we're totally off track a little bit with this too, but it also, since we of course, more recently saw the, the latter part of DS9, it showed the evolution of that character. And it wasn't like he, he was totally different early on than, than later, but he definitely, there's a maturing thing in the yes. war and how it affected him, and that struck me a little bit. Yeah, there's definitely, a, he has, he has a, an experience and a wisdom about him by the end of DS9 mm-hmm. that he mm-hmm. does not have here. And that's right, right for the character, yeah. Yeah. Originally, I think this was supposed to be feral. Hmm. I, I, they, they they rewrote it at the last minute mm-hmm. uh, because she was in Move Along Home more than he was. Mm. Um, um, I don't know. I guess there's not a lot to say about this episode. It's the the meat is in the next one. I think we're yeah. we're going to probably be reaching to come up with something that it's about. Anybody? You're the bird. <laughs> Well, it's obviously, um, it, it has something to do with fathers. Um, knowing who your father is will teach you who you are. I mean, Does it? Because I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's what the that's what they were go- I think that's what they were going for. I mean, in that scene with Worf, that's what he, uh, they talk about. And um, both do search out for their fathers, um, I think, for that same reason. Yeah, they're probably going for that. I mean, I guess you could talk to about, a, in a similar vein, you could talk about just searching for something, you know, you, you know, there's something you're missing, you know, and, and looking, looking for that or finding that in some respect, but yeah, yeah think, whichever it is, I don't think, I think data's father is encouraging him to, um, learn and grow. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily feel like, like, uh, data was just trying to find his father. Like Worf is encouraging him to explore the meaning of this vision because the vision must have a great meaning because his father is involved. But I don't know that, that unlike previous times when Soong has been around, uh, that it's a matter of Data trying to learn more about Soong. It's more like Data's trying to learn more about himself. Um, and that's interesting, and that's we get that, that painting scene, for example. Um, but all this kind of makes me want is to see a whole episode of Data exploring his soul, you know? Mm-hmm. Which we, we're going to get some more stuff like that later. One episode in particular that I can think of. Um, so... Do you think with this... Um this would have been better served keeping the like this the B story. I don't really think of it as an A and B story. I think they're kind of the same. Obviously, the data story drops off in the second part. You think they could have kept going with that in the second episode, or was it just them trying to do too much? I think if you're going to call this part one and call that part two, mm-hmm. and make the data story in part one as significant as it is, that it feels like a disappointment that there's no mention of it whatsoever in part two. Worf yeah. is in this one a fair amount. Worf's story is in this one enough to get started. It's, and Data is absent completely from part two. 
you know. I don't know. I I just think that. Um, yeah, it is a little more. Yeah, it's awkward. Yeah. And it's probably good that we're discussing them as two separate episodes because I think it's fair to ding it a little bit for that awkwardness in 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 a way we wouldn't feel that if we were watching them mm-hmm. uh, as a single and discussing them as a single episode. Because I assure you, if we were discussing these as a single episode, we would have talked about data for two sentences and all the rest would have been part two stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to Six Degrees for Birthright Part 1. Steve, are you going first or second? I'll go first. James Cromwell plays the Euridian Yaglom Shrek. He has played many roles on Trek, of course. In which Trek series pilot episode was he featured, though uncredited? Mm, uh, Enterprise? You are correct. Uh, broken uh, bow. Uh, Adam, stock footage of Cromwell as Cochrane from First Contract was used in Enterprises in a mirror darkly. Uh, though the scene has a different ending than it did in the feature, how does it end? What does Cromwell, uh, Cochrane, do differently in, in a mirror darkly than he did in First Contract? Doesn't he, um, I don't know, kind of guess, he just, he wants to conquer, so he doesn't declare war? I don't know. It's been a while. Uh, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. Instead of shaking hands, he pulls out a weapon and kills the Vulcan. All right. All right. One one. Moving on. Birthright Part Two, Season Six, Episode Seventeen, Production Number Two Forty Three. Original air date March Fourteenth, Nineteen Ninety Three. Directed by Dan Curry. Written by Brandon Braga. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include James Cromwell as Jalome Shrek, Christine Rose as Gural, Jennifer Gotti as Bael, Richard Hurd as Lacour, Sterling Maester Jr. as Tok, and Alan Scarf as Tokoth. Still imprisoned in a Romulan camp inhabited by Klingons, and having learned that his father is truly dead, Worf asks Lacour and Jarrell, the Klingons leading the group, how they can live as prisoners, the ultimate disgrace in their culture. They explain after they were captured during the Kinnamar massacre, the Romulans kept them from committing suicide. As a result, they voluntarily remained to preserve the honor of their families, who believed they had died heroically. Tell your father that you would like to leave. Tell him that you would like to visit the Klingon home world. See what he says. Why would I want to go there? It's dangerous. Not any longer. Bael, come here. Adam, kick us off on Birthright Part 2, please. Birthright Part 2. Worf hiding in the bushes, watching girls bathe. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, oh, yeah. no, that was in the previous episode. Oh, was it? My bad. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I like this episode for what it is. I mean, it's interesting, this societal thing they have with um, the Klingons and the Romulans, although they're um, the leader of the Romulan camp is kind of annoying. I'm surprised nobody would have just opt him at some point. But, yeah. It's a totally different, to me, it's a totally different episode than Birthright Part 1. Um, I like that they have a little um, romantic thing going on with um, Worf and this um, um, other girl, half Klingon, half Romulan. That's an interesting um, thing in this. You don't get to see Worf t- too often romantically involved with anybody, so that was interesting. Um yeah, I would say I like the episode, but um, I think it suffers from the problems that we discussed in the previous um, at the previous episode. So it makes it a little bit it makes it a little bit odd. I think this is certainly a more cohesive episode than the previous one. It does a better job of standing alone than the, the previous one. Um, I think the reasons I enjoy it overall, and I do, the reasons overall that I enjoy it. Or that it's a Klingon episode that actually does kind of bring a different facet to the Klingons, which, um, how do I put that? Like so much of Next Gen was defining the Klingons and delving deeper into their culture, but it was all, it was all deeper within the same kind of mythos, you know? Here, they really are kind of different. Here we see um, how some different Klingons reacted in a different situation on one hand. So I think that's kind of interesting. 
you know, you see these Klingons that have decided to, I don't know, become docile almost. Um, well, it kind of makes sense. I mean, the way it's, it kind of seems strange at first that they would take themselves prisoner, but then they explained, explain why they did it. Um, you know, they didn't want to bring dishonor to their family. So logically, you know, they cling on societal structure. It, um, it makes sense. Well, I think it would have made more sense to kill themselves. Not that we on this podcast offer, uh, <laughs> advocate such things. That, but yeah, I agree. The consistency would be, okay, I get that they want to protect their family's honor. What would be more consistent is that they, like hardly any of them, you know, made it past a week in this place. They found would find some way to kill themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, on the, the, other, the other aspect of the episode that I really like uh, is that it, it shows that um, all these things that define the Klingons – are completely innate, you know. It's it's like um, all Worf had to do was take him out there and and tell him, you know, just smell really hard, and then <laughs> you know <laughs> his inner Klingon came out. You know what I mean? And so it's not like it's not like being a Klingon is that is a learned thing. And we're reminded of that with Worf too, who was not raised among Klingons yet. You know, in certain some ways, is more Klingon than than most Klingons. Um, I just I just think that's 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 very interesting, and and the thought that you know these these children that have never seen the Klingon ways had it deep inside of them too. Um, okay, Worf. He's in he's in this episode. <laughs> he uh, it, a character that we love so much. We see some faults with him in this episode, in, in, in a very for sure, in a certain way. Yeah. Um, when he is going to kiss the um, Bayal, uh-huh. sees that she's half Romulan, she's a mutt, and he's offended. And it's it's almost like his his own codes of honor. Uh, his own way of living is is holding him back from seeing these other possibilities. Um, you, you know, now you were talking about the end. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I have a little bit of trouble. I'm suspending my disbelief. I understand why he was doing it, but on one hand, if you're Worf, wouldn't you be? Wouldn't you kind of realize that you know you have a ship that's probably going to start looking for you at some point? So why would you, you know, just let these people kill you when you could just kind of wait it out a little while? No, no, that one I understand. That's a worth. That's a worth honor thing. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't suspend my disbelief in that one enough. Well, I mean, the the biggest thing is is what's so interesting about Worf are his complexities, right? I mean, he essentially much of much of the episode. You know he's he's racist. I mean, or do you want to call it speciesist, whatever whatever the word would be? But you get what yeah. I'm saying. He makes generalizations. Yeah. They are by their very nature they're bad. The Romans. Period. I mean, you know he he sticks to that. That's kind of that's pretty consistent. You know, but you also have things that are you know, are, are very much not Klingon, you know, his statement early on in that episode, you know, there's no room in my heart for shame, he says, you know, he says that he would embrace his father if he was there, and then, the, you know, the old Klingon, uh, well, uh, you know, I would hope my son would, would you know, be Klingon enough to, to kill me, or whatever he says, something of that nature, you know, so I think that's what's so interesting, what Worf chooses to hold on to, and what he chooses to dismiss, you know, it's the influence of of his shipmates and humans and whatnot to consider things like, you know, it's not always about a black or white issue about, you know, um, if it's against our code, we might as well die for it. You know, family means something, living means something, yet I'm going to, you know, have my, uh, have my uh, hatred of this um, species no matter what, you know, and generalize like that, you know. So I don't know if that's, if that, it's it's inconsistent. I'm not saying it's it's a bad inconsistency, but it makes it's it makes his character interesting for this complexity. Hmm. Well, what's it about? <laughs> well, you know what I got most from it was I I couldn't help but think how you know it's 20 years back, and 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 this is this that element of his notion of this kind of kind of racism you know that he holds uh, in a sort towards the romulans um and this notion of klingons or klingons and you can bring out what it is in people i think 
these ideas might have been viewed differently 20 years ago than they are now. You know, I think 20 years ago, we might have been more of a colorblind culture. You know, we were coming out of that notion of, you know, it's, it's wrong. It's, since racism is wrong, we should be colorblind. And I think in the recent years, the, the, the mentality has become more like to ignore differences in people is to invite uh, deep-seated prejudices to to rear themselves, you know. And in, instead, we should celebrate our cultures. Yes, celebrating our culture, and and in this in this way, I, I think that's what I got most out of it. This notion of you know, in a way, the the wrong, you know, you got a peaceful society here, but is that is that worth the cost of you're totally losing who you are? You know, not that all Klingons have to be the same or all Romulans have to be the same, but if there's something in you that makes you want to be a certain way and, and that's being purposefully stifled, you know? If uh, Worf had been a different Klingon than he is, you know, what would have been even um, more beneficial to the culture or possibly beneficial to all of society outside of this planet? You know, what if, what if he could have helped, helped the Romulans to celebrate that Klingon culture, to appreciate it somehow, mm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if he had been more open to, you know, if he wasn't speciesist, if he had been yeah. more open to seeing what good or interesting things could have been in, could be in the Romulan culture and encouraged the Klingons to explore those things and found that, um, that would have been... That would have been uh, too much for Worf, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they did go a little ways. I mean, you know, he had that scene with... Um, but wouldn't that have been a more interesting uh, utopia sure. to strive for than, you know, than the Romulan commanders saying, no one's done what I've done here. Well, you know, if what you've done here is just uh, make everybody so bland that they're not offended by each other. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, well... The co- the com- the common workplace today, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Caesar? Um, I, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> you want to sing that song for us? <laughs> <laughs> the lullaby. No, the one he sings in the dining hall. Uh, <laughs> you know, all you have to do is make a lot of. You know, consonant sounds, and then kind of swing your fist, and you're singing a Klingon song. There's not much else to it. <laughs> well, I mean, um, it, it was funny. I mean, it kind of reminds me, Klingons kind of have a, a dwarfish, you know, from the the ring strictly. They kind of have a, you know, the singing. Uh, they kind of just reminded me of mm. dwarfs um, singing in a hall, you know, yeah. that you would see in The Hobbit or something. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if those scenes in Wolf of Wall Street, you know, were inspired by this kind of thing. You know, the. <laughs> <laughs> beating on your chest and chanting stuff or whatever. Mm. So we covered what it's about, right? Sure. S- S- Steve, you said it's yes, Caesar, you did too? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think we're good. Well, I think um, it sounds like I may have enjoyed this episode a little bit more than you guys. Um, I, I like the Klingon culture a lot. You know, I, I, I really get into those episodes. I really enjoy them. Um and this one in particular is very memorable as the next gen episode for me because it's different and we see different klingons normally when we see klingons they're either they either wish they could be worth or they're totally evil monsters <laughs> you know this, well, yeah, this I mean, is a little bit more nuanced here and they're that makes them very interesting and different um, well, i, I think almost wish we could have explored this again well, it may, well, it makes you, obviously it makes you think. You know, we think of the, the Klingons, and and obviously through Next Gen and and DS Nine, we're going to find more facets of the Klingon society where they're all just not brute warriors. Um, yeah. They they are a society full of you know different people of different strengths and intelligence. You know, just, just like in, just like oh, humans, yeah. there yeah, there exactly. are some that are weaker and stronger than others, and um, so it's an opportunity to really say something about the human condition in a way that you can't. Uh, I mean, because we, you know, we we gave him a little bit of a hard time earlier on about not committing suicide, but I mean, uh, you know, obviously not everybody's going to follow the code one hundred percent, or you're more like a, a robot. You're not nuanced, and I think that's probably what we enjoyed. We get to see we get to see some more of the weaknesses of the Klingon yeah. society well, this, in this one. Not necessarily this, weaknesses, but I mean, not that they're not all just. Not all of them follow the code to 100%. There are nuances to it, and there are variations depending on the individual. 
this is a perfect example of an episode where, you know, we talk about uh, Star Trek. We like the movies and all, but Star Trek is a TV series, and we definitely would rather have a TV new TV series than a new movie. Um, and this is the kind of reason, you know, in, in most of the movies, the Klingons were very simple. They were just the villains. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a, there's a level of exploration here of the Klingon culture that that is more than just this, even the second layer deep, which you can't do in the movies. This is much deeper than that. You know, this this is only meaningful because of all the other Klingon episodes that have come before it. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, I think we've covered that one. Let's move on to Six Degrees for Birthright, Part Two. Uh, Steve, you went first, second. I mean, you went first last time. <laughs> I went first, like, so, first yeah. and second. Mm-hmm. So, Adam, how about you go first this time? All right. Jennifer Gotti plays Bayal, the Klingon that wants to really get to know Mr. Worf. In Voyager's second season, she played Libby, a Voyager regular's girlfriend, before he was assigned to Voyager. Which crew member am I speaking of? Um, Ensign Kim? You are correct. She played Kim's girlfriend. Uh, Steve, Richard Hurd plays the Klingon leader, Lacor. He will later make several appearances as somebody's daddy on Voyager. Which crew member am I speaking of? Hmm. Okay. I'm ending that sentence in a preposition. Hmm. Hmm. It does. It's weird because it doesn't really sound like him. Richard Hurd in Voyager, he sounds like Richard Hurd, but here he he's uh, he's doing a good job of sounding like a Klingon. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, is it uh, Paris? You're correct. He played Admiral Paris. Moving on. <laughs> Starship Mind, Season 6, Episode 18, Production Number 244, Original Air Date, March 29, 1993, Directed by Cliff Bowl, Written by Morgan Gindel, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include David Spielberg as Commodore Calvin Hutchinson, Marie Marshall as Kelsey, Tim Russ as Devor, Glenn Morshauer as Orton, Tom Nibley as Neil, Tim Bazarn as Sattler, Patricia Tallman as Kiros, Arlie Reed as Arcanian Waiter, Alan Alshold as Pomet, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. The Enterprise, docked at the orbiting Rimley Array, is evacuated in order to undergo a Byron sweep. A procedure that scans the ship with deadly rays in order to eliminate accumulated particles which have collected on the ship over the years. The senior officers attend a reception at the Arcurian base on the planet below, hosted by Commander Commander Hutchinson. However, Picard finds an excuse to leave the gathering, and with only minutes before the Baryon sweep begins, he hurries to the Enterprise where he finds unusual activity. Or should I call you Lieutenant? Lieutenant Commander, perhaps? You can call me whatever you wish. But moving trilithium resin requires very specific equipment. You can't just improvise something. I wouldn't need to improvise if you hadn't damaged our field diverter. But if you're so concerned about the trilithium, I suggest you stop interfering with us before you set off an explosion that would destroy the Enterprise and you. Starship Mine. You know, it's funny. So here's an episode where it really is just... A little action episode. I mean, there's. I don't think we're going to have anything for what it's about, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've always remembered this episode. I've always thought it was fun. I don't know. It's, it's, it's nice to see Picard as kind of an action hero. Uh, you know, we get that in a little bit in the movies, um, but not a lot on the series. And uh, we get it here, and it's, and it's fun. The jokes are funny. I've always remembered that. What's that Riker line? How long can two people talk about nothing? <laughs> the line is funny. Uh, oh, yeah. Picard's, Picard has a line that is one of the all-time funniest lines in the entire series. My name's Mutt. <laughs> his delivery of that line is like his delivery of, as I've said, I think the funniest line in all of Star Trek. This is not your bedroom in Star Trek Generations. There's something about Picard's delivery of the line that's so disconnected that makes it so incredibly funny to me that I laugh out loud every time I hear it. <laughs> He's Mott the Barber. <laughs> yeah. uh, I enjoy Data's facial expressions when he's practicing oh, yeah. small talk <laughs> yeah. in the reception. <laughs> um, 
Brent must have had it. Must have went, must have told him go crazy, do whatever you want with this. And I'm sure he enjoyed every minute of it. He didn't have to stand there. They do like, and with his face muscles like hurting. <laughs> 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 um, but you know, it's it's fine to do. You can if you can do a an actiony episode well on your television budget, then great. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I I definitely agree with you, Brian. It's a lot of fun. Um, probably we're going to struggle with what it's about. Um. The one thing in the middle of the episode I was thinking, I was like, what is Worf doing? What's he doing? Is he like some bathhouse? I couldn't, it was just, I don't know, it entered in my, my mind what, what Worf would be doing in this situation with his time off. I don't know <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah, I like that sequence where, sorry, uh, Mr. LaForge, Mr. Worf beat you to it or whatever, then <laughs> getting out of the meeting. That's funny. Um, the barium sweep. Every time I see it, though, I think, you know, if I can see it moving, it must be go- it must move faster than, <laughs> you know, when you see those exteriors, it seems like it's it must be moving faster than it is. Yeah. I don't know. Every time I think that, I th- every time I think this would take like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, and and why does nobody like go looking for Picard? I don't know. Who cares? Uh, I love seeing him. Like, there's like, there's a MacGyver scene. You know, like. He's tipping, putting, tip, dipping the arrows in something. He's making explosives. What? Mm-hmm. And then he goes and he rambos in the ship. You know, <laughs> literally shoots an arrow in some guy's leg from the corner. He's hiding. And then you know, later on, the booby trap goes off. And, and you know, it's 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 <laughs> it's not a very next geny kind of episode. It's not a very Star Trek kind of episode. I'll say that. Even the action episodes in the original series somehow seem more Star Trekky. Uh, it's more Star Trek-like than this one, but I don't care. I've always remembered this, and I've always kind of enjoyed it. It's one of those. It's one of those. You know, flipping the channels if it's on, you'll watch it. Kind of episodes for me. Um, what did you think about the fight scene at the end? Which fight scene? With um, Picard and um, what is the the villain's name? Oh, all right. In, oh, the, in, the last one. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was fine. That's some who's that guy moments. <laughs> the Riker, you, the, whenever Riker punches, the, when he goes, let me. We need first thing we need to talk about it, and he punches that guy. That is a massive who's that guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like the guy. It's like not even real. His facial hair. It's so. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not the right build. Or something. he looks kind of like a snowman in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason I asked, I, I enjoyed Picard's leap onto her after he knocked her down. But... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It did look like like if you just took out all the sound effects and put some romantic music on there. <laughs> be a pretty different scene. Yeah. I did think that. There's it is funny too the um when he when um Picard knocks out the Tim Russ character or whatever. It's really kind of like what do you do exactly? One of those knockout things. It's kind of well, yeah, like a it's like series knockouts, you know, it's like there's how no do you knock explanation for what what was it that that, what's it looks like a Vulcan nerve pinch. Devra, way, yeah, it yeah. does kind of look like that. It, it's apparently it was explicit in the script that it was not. It was a carterard, car, artery uh, clamp or something. <laughs> that old, that old <laughs> trick, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, exactly. What is it that Russ's character does, um, Devor? That what does he do that that tips Picard off that? I need to throw my saddle at this man. I don't I mean was that extreme? Yeah, it, was, it didn't seem extreme <laughs> enough to warrant it. You know, like yeah. excuse me, and oh, I'm gonna take him out. Mm-hmm. Then maybe there's a they should have had a line in there, something about I don't know that there shouldn't be anybody at all in the ship by now, or I don't know right. what something to indicate why it would have been more odd. Um, they a lot of people die in this episode. Mm-hmm. Picard like kills a lot of people in this episode. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Well, I don't know that he really is trying to kill these people, but yeah, kind of. Hmm. And uh, yeah, and and that one, and there was one of those. It was kind of humorous. It should have been humorous, probably. But the uh, where the one guy gets surprised by the Baryon sweep <laughs> in the uh, oh, he's looking down for so yeah. long. 
Yeah, because it's, it's like it opens up and here it comes. Like he can't <laughs> scramble backward, you know. It's like ah, and then and then it leads to <laughs> oh no, you know. And then and it you leads... see the remorse look on Ricard's face. There, it's like what's going on here. And then and then how does the the one dingling in engineering know definitively that the Baryon sweep caught him? You can't go check someone on the other side of the Baryon sweep by definition. So how do you know the Baryon sweep got so and so? I mean, that, that was also kind of a logic thing to me, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are, are you guys trying to make me not like the episode anymore no yeah. no, no. I, I think it's entertaining i, I do oh, think it's entertaining and it's funny and it does have action stuff these are just like kind of quirky things it's one of those just fun things you know hmm. we gotta fill the time with something <laughs> i mean there's fun who's that guy stuff there's people dying in funny ways there's still you know it's it's yeah and there's stuff. yeah an incredible amount of I got a question. I didn't catch it. Did did Hutchinson die? Or I, I don't think they established they, that. They implied it by putting that purple sheet oh, over well, his dead body. Right. I mean, over his body. That that implied that he was died, killed. Which makes you think. Well, I guess because he he was shot from a, a different weapon than oh, right. Jordy, right? True, true. So maybe Jordy's weapon was on a lower setting or something. This weapon that shot him was on a lower setting or something. Maybe Hutchinson had a fake heart and it couldn't take the. Sure. Sure. From a Nausicaan fight, no doubt. Indeed. Mm. Small talk fight. Yeah. <laughs> those, those scenes are pretty funny. They did. They um, were they trying to do a play on words there at the end of this episode when I'm a horse and then you hear Worf go, of course? Oh, yeah. That was intentional, I believe. Yes. That, that whole ending, it really felt like an original series ending, didn't it? Right. They you know, just, all kind of bust up and laughing and stuff. And yeah, and I wanted to hear that playing. music. Dude, dude. I like it. I like this episode. You know what? Yeah. Part of it is I like. I just I like the idea of Picard alone on his ship. You know, um, defending it. He's he's being a little bit. You know, he's kirking out a little bit. Not, which he doesn't normally do. He's not normally the Kirk guy. Yeah. Except for the fight at the end. He was Kirking it out. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you that one. Um, so Kirk would have just seduced her. So There you go. <laughs> I've got at least 15 seconds before that variant sweep yeah. hits you. That is more than enough time for me. To Kirk out. Yeah. Um, and you know, and you know me, I like I like the Star Trek kind of I like I like the mundane stuff sometimes in Star Trek. I like I like at the beginning all the kind of busy work. We're finish this up so we can get out of here with the Barry and Sweep and blah 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 and you know and all the people coming up to Picard and asking him questions yeah, and things. Yeah. I like that stuff. I really do. I always like that stuff. And actually, my favorite thing in this entire episode is at the beginning. It's when Picard takes a couple of minutes, not that long, whatever, 30, 40 seconds, to just walk around on the bridge by himself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and he's smiling. That shot, there's kind of a medium close up ish shot when he's Right near the end of it, right before the people, other people come onto the bridge, and he's sitting there, he's kind of looking off, and then he kind of smiles, you know. I mean, it's just, I mean, that that fills my heart. Let me well, tell you, I love it. Yeah, Next Gen doesn't have nearly as much of that as like the original series did with yeah. that captain ship connection thing. But this yeah, is definitely totally. the the whole point of this, in a way, is to me is like you know, I'm this is this is mine, you know, and, you know, I'm here to protect it. And, you know, and sometimes it's, and rarely does it get to be that personal and, and intimate and, and direct of a thing as this episode is, as far as the captain and his ship. Yeah. So I, 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 I enjoyed that. I like that in the original series. Um, but here it's not hokey, which makes it even better, <laughs> you know? Um, so that's my favorite moment in this whole episode, actually. And it's weird that that moment comes in the teaser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was a long teaser, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I looked, it was like six minutes, six minutes long. Jeez. I almost forgot that we were, um, I, was, I thought I was midway into the episode. I was like, oh, yeah, we got to have the credit roll. It was a pretty long tease. Well, do we have anything for what it's about? If you're bald, you can strive to be a barber. Mm. Indeed. Well, I think the closest is that notion of, for me, you know, it's more of one of these action entertainment episodes as far as opposed to a deep meaning kind of episode. But for me, the closest thing is that idea of, you know, it's called Starship Mine, and it's the and it's the captain, the only being the only person, the only Enterprise crewman on the ship, 
you know, to ward off a threat. And it's to me, it's about that connection between the ship and the the captain and his ship. Yeah. Protecting your your home. Yeah, your... yeah. Mr. Caesar. Um. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I'm thinking about that now with that scene in the teaser, and it's the captain that's, you know, last man on the ship type of thing. He didn't go down with the ship, but it's like he was the last man to defend it. Mm-hmm. So, I think this is, um, you know, you don't normally see it on people's lists. I think people kind of, every, everybody likes it, but it's easy to dismiss. And I think that's that's probably a little bit unfair. Um, I enjoy it, and I, I will continue to do so. Let's... Uh, move on to six degrees for starship mine oh golly what's our score we're tied 2-2 i think yep sounds right all right well let's uh (laughs) hit it out of the park (laughs) Uh, have we ever tied yeah only a couple times but it's happened uh adam are you going first or second um i'll go first now this is a big deal guys because whoever wins episode 100 Episode one number one hundred. People are going to remember that. Mm. Uh, Adam. Well, they T- remember this episode though. They'll just remember that. <laughs> Tim Dazarn plays Sattler, the bandit that embraces the Baryon sweep, much to his discomfort. In DS9's sixth season, he played Halb Dyer. Finish the episode title that he was in. Wrongs darker. Wrongs darker than I don't know. I don't, I don't know the name of the episode. That would not be the name of the episode, Steve. <laughs> then Darker Night. Oh, right. All right, Steve. Tim Russ plays Devor. Of course, he'll be a regular on Voyager. But before that, he'll make a brief appearance as a human lieutenant on which Enterprise? Oh, yeah. The B. Wow, you got that one. That's good. All right. You, uh, you shut him out. Steve is the winner for episode 100. He didn't shut me out. I got two. <laughs> but shout outs when you have zero brian come on but so, he doubled that so it's so odd all these we... baseball references in this episode. <laughs> I, know. I don't know what, what you, you're talking about you guys you know, you know, oh i wonder why steve's gotten a little bit happier in the last five minutes did they get did the royal scores or something oh we're playing we're out of character now well yeah, it's, well, it's, it's, it's over it's it's seven to five we have two on with one out in the bottom of the eighth so okay. we, we, yeah uh mr caesar before we go um Folks, this is the first postseason game in the Royals uh, in 29 years. So, yeah. And I'm based in Kansas City. Yeah, Steve lives in Kansas City. Well, we're all big baseball fans, for those mm-hmm. who are listening. <laughs> uh, Mr. Caesar, do you want to tell us about getting to see the Enterprise? Oh, yeah. I was in New York last week, and I got to see the Space Shuttle Enterprise. For those of you who do not know anything about space shuttles, the Enterprise was the prototype space shuttle. It was named Enterprise after a write-in from Star Trek fans. In the mid-70s? Mid-70s. The, uh, um, the, the shuttle was actually going to be named the Constitution, but they changed that to Enterprise based on Star Trek fans. Um, the ship is incredibly impressive. Um, it's much bigger. It's a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. I don't, have either of you teen, seen a shuttle? I've only seen one. I saw a Discovery on the launch pad in the late 80s, but mm-hmm. I was pretty far away, so I don't have a much of a sense of scale of things. So, um, it's pretty much the size of a jet, like a normal jet that you would take, you know, when you're flying on. It's, that's how big mm-hmm. it is. Um, when you enter into the um, exhibit, so the shuttle is on the um, aircraft carrier um, Intrepid in, on the Hudson River on Manhattan. So um, when you enter, when you enter in there, they go through a little tunnel and you can and you come out right underneath the space shuttle. So when hmm. you look, that's the first thing you see. And it's, it's massive. It's a massive ship. Um, much bigger than I thought it was going to be. Um, so the, it's very, the ship is very impressive. The enclosure was okay. The presentation, you know, they didn't have a lot of, you know, First off, they didn't have the picture with the whole original crew in front of the ship Aww. displayed anywhere, so that was kind of disappointing. Um, and it's kind of tight in there because you're basically you're on the deck of a World War II aircraft carrier. So, but it, I would just to see the ship was um, was very cool. So this is a um, temporary home. No, this is a permanent home. So it's permanent. Yeah. Okay. 
Man, I guess they're gonna still going to be there? working. What's that? How long has it been there? About a year, year and a half. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so it used to be at the Smithsonian. They do have some incredible photos of the shuttle flying over New York. When it was on the on when it was being carried by a jet, so those are pretty cool. So, um, if you're in New York, feel like spending some money. Which, if you're in New York, you should feel like spending money. <laughs> it's incredibly expensive to do anything happy, there. Yeah. Um, go check out the Enterprise. It's um, it's not disappointing. Cool, man. You know what's funny is when we started this podcast. I mean, we recorded our first two episodes in December of of 2010. But I, I didn't actually post them until January of 2011. I think I dated them properly for December 2010. But I did not actually post them until January because, um, because I wanted to, you know, we none of us had done a podcast like this before. And we wanted to make sure it would kind of work. And I didn't want to start giving people a show and then stop it or whatever. You know, it, it worked. And, and we, we love doing this. And I still do four years later. Um, but uh, I remember... I gave the first episode number, like I, I gave it the number zero. I gave it the number one. Then I said, no, because I, you know, I've got, I have had enough experience working with files. And I'm like, this is going to be unwieldy. If we get to episode 10, I know it's going to like alphabetize and put it. So I just called it zero one. And then I stopped and said, well, what if we did a hundred? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we'll ever do a hundred, but I'll just, okay. Just for, I, and then I called it zero zero one. And sure enough, here we are. Episode 100. We're going to finally replace that first zero. <laughs> um, so so it's really cool. Thousand. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Too late. Um, so anyway, uh, again, 100 episodes. That's pretty cool. And uh, here's to 100 more. So thank you guys for um, doing this. And uh, I've, I'm still enjoying it just as much as day one. And thank you our li- to our listeners. Um, for listening and spending the last hour with us and uh, we will be back in two weeks to talk about the next three episodes of Next Gen. So until then, you can follow us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Our Twitter handle is at Trek Companion. Um, you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. And until uh, next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.